Good morning, church family. I don't know about you, but I could just keep singing that one over and over and over again. It's awesome. Um, thinking about the glory and the honor and the power that belongs to Christ. Um, if you have consumed any media over the last few weeks uh, or months, then you know that there is an election coming up um, in our country. And uh, I don't say that so that we can talk about politics or uh, policy positions or how we should vote. Um, I really just bring that up to draw a contrast uh, to what David is going to be preaching about today. Uh, because when it's election season, uh, a lot of times the things that are highlighted are the things that divide us um, and cause division. Um, who should lead and what direction our country should go and what policies we should take as a nation. Um, sometimes we hear our polit political leaders say that there is more that unites us than divides us. And that may or may not be true for our nation, but when we consider the church, it is true um, because the one who unites us is greater than anything that might divide us. Um, he is the one who came and made a way. Christ made a way for us to access the Lord, God. Um, he's the one who died and who rose again. And in doing that, uh, Paul wrote in Ephesians 2 that he made us both one people. Um, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, but it says that he tore down the wall of hostility that divides. Um, that truth can be applied to us and God, right? There was a wall of hostility that divided us from him called sin. Um, and Christ got rid of that. Um, and that's why we say he's the only name that is above all names. And he has called his people uh, to unity. Uh, so over the next few weeks, uh, when it could be easy to act just like those who are in the world, uh, I want to remind us that we have a calling that's different and we should walk worthy of that calling and provide a contrast uh, to those who are still in the world. Uh, point them to the one who is seated on the throne, right? And it doesn't matter who leads our country, our Lord is seated on the throne and we can rejoice in that and we can point others toward that truth. Um, so David in just a few minutes is gonna preach about the unity we have in Christ and the implications of that unity. Um, and so I want you to join me as I pray and we'll continue to worship as he teaches us from God's word. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Um, we thank you that you sent your son to die and to rise again, and give us a way to have access to you in peace um, and to live with each other in peace and in love. I thank you that we all who are brothers and sisters through Christ have one Lord, and that there is one spirit that indwells us all, and that we serve one God, the one true God. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you and we pray these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. morning again. Thanks Moses and uh, team for leading us this morning. I know uh, some of you, I kind of got this already, but some of you probably were like, well, who's going to preach, right? 
Like, Chad's not here, Gino's not here, Kylie's not here, Jerry's not here, so it's me. Uh, you got me. I, uh, <laughs> I'm honored to, but I do, I, I do feel like, uh, you know, when you're watching a basketball game and it's just a blowout, and they let the guy who's like at the end of the bench get in, and everybody's just like, oh man, look at him go. Uh, feels a little bit like that, but uh, I am, it is an honor to, uh, to get to, uh, to open God's word together and to get to speak to you this morning, and uh, I, uh, I'm excited about this passage as Ernest so uh, wonderfully set it up. Uh, on unity. If you want to, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. The first 16 verses, this will be on unity. Uh, while you're turning there, I, uh, I, one of my favorite classes in college, I uh, went to Bellhaven, uh, and so there's a Christian worldview in everything. If there's any Bellhaven people here, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, there you go. Uh, there's a Christian worldview in every single class, and it's a great thing because it, it, it teaches you to, to view the world through that lens, how to interpret things, how to make decisions based on your faith. And uh, one of my favorite classes there, though, was a night class uh, on biology. And so we would be there for like two and a half hours or, or so once a week. And uh, we were in the basement of whatever the building was, and it was so fascinating because I'm not a science guy, um, but to hear all of the intricacies of the human body, how everything is pieced together and how it works, and how every single class we were reminded of God's design and how exact things are. And so since then, I've always found that kind of stuff interesting. For the medical professionals in the room, I'm sorry, I'm about to do a little bit of a medical uh, factoid. So if I get it wrong, just to, uh, normally I got a guitar. Remember that. Just hold that picture in your mind, all right? But one of the things that I, I came across a few weeks ago has to do with what's uh, part of the brain called the auditory cortex. The auditory cortex, and as the name would imply, it deals with sound, how we interpret sound, how we manage sound. Uh, and so this, uh, this part of the brain is known kind of, uh, the nickname for it is the listening hub. So what happens when you, when you hear stuff is you get like these electrical signals, right? It enters your ear, goes to your brain, magic happens, right? And you understand things. So researchers are really wanting to understand how does that work? Um, I've heard it said that we know less about the brain than we know about it. Um, there's still so much more to figure out than we've ever figured out so far. So there are two parts of the brain that researchers in the last few years have been looking at, and uh, the two parts, it's called Heschel's gyrus, or HG, we'll just go HG, don't want to say that a hundred times, and then the superior temporal gyrus, the STG, okay, these two sections of the auditory cortex, what they've discovered is that they serve very uh, unique, distinct purposes. The STG can take this jumble of sounds. So uh, imagine you're in a crowded room of people, or you're at a, a football game, right? A lot of you were in Starkville uh, yesterday, I imagine, some of you. And you can uh, take this jumble of, of sound and distinguish and hear the person who's talking next to you, even when it's loud out there. Even when there's more volume coming in than that one person's putting out, you're able to hear them. Uh, and so the STG kind of helps with that. And then the HG, this first part that I mentioned, uh, sort of organizes the sound. It makes sense of them. And then its little co-partner, the STG, sort of amplifies it. It figures out what's most important to you. And it sort of creates this lift almost. And these regions of the brain, this region of the brain, these two parts, they kind of develop uh, like an auditory memory of sorts. So 
if I were to say, uh, mention just any old object, right, like North Park Mall, everybody in their mind has an image of North Park, right? We have this memory visually of what it looks like. Well, your brain has a memory for sound as well. They know what so-and-so sounds like. And so, when you're in the middle of this crowded room or in the middle of all this noise and the person's talking, your brain remembers what that person sounds like and it fills in all the gaps that you're not hearing. And it creates a sound that's fuller to where you can actually hear stuff. This is pretty incredible, right? Um, and all of this is happening. All of this stuff that I just talked about is happening in about 150 milliseconds. So that's 0.15 seconds. That's faster than you snap your finger. All of that stuff is taking place. And it's happening all the time. Because if it didn't, you would go crazy, right? You would have so much information coming in and you would go crazy. It is so vital, even in this one little piece of, uh, of, of human anatomy, for things to be balanced and unified and working correctly. Uh, oftentimes we end up in the doctor's office, right, when things aren't operating correctly. So our bodies are these fine-tuned instruments because that unity in our body is essential. And just as Ernest said a second ago, unity in this body, the body of Christ, is all the more essential to function properly. And so with that, let's look at our text in Ephesians 4, starting at verse 1. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you we're called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul, uh, at the end here, has this exhortation, this, this urge, as he puts it, towards unity, so that we may be working properly. Uh, he does this in three specific ways that I want us to consider this morning. So that first way, first way, if you're taking notes, is to walk as one worthy specifically worthy of the calling to which we've been called. That's what verse 1 says. So what does uh, walking as one worthy look like? Well, verse 2 begins to answer this question. Uh, so the first thing, the first marker characteristic of one who is worthy is humble. We are to be humble. 
C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said of, uh, of kind of the opposite of humility. He said, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Uh, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride, which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. That is, a, that is quite the warning against pride and, and pro-humility. A believer practices humility not to signal how kind or down-to-earth they are. You know, when you meet a famous person, they're like, they were so down-to-earth. Uh, that's kind of what we tend to think of humility. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a person who views uh, their world and themselves through this accurate lens of their own sinfulness and God's holiness, right? When we see God for who he is, when we see ourselves for who we are, we are brought low. And that's the humility with which we ought to work uh, from, ought to live uh, with. Uh, so, uh, we're humble, and uh, verse 2 says to walk with all humility, and our next point, gentleness. So we are to be gentle. Um, we shouldn't conflate uh, gentleness with weakness. We shouldn't view gentleness as weakness. It's uh, better to think of it as when somebody has strength or position or authority and chooses or is led to serve or help or elevate the needs of others, right? It's uh, there's nothing, um, there's nothing noble about the person who can't do anything when they don't do that thing, right? It's, it's the restraint that, that shows the strength of a person. And in this way, uh, being gentle is a person who, who is stronger, who has position, who has, uh, maybe means, who is choosing to bring themselves low, to care for someone who in that moment is maybe lower than they are in need, uh, the other day, this is, I'm going to reference my boys a lot. One of them's back there, but he's probably not listening. Uh, so uh, Charlie, our youngest, he's two years old. He's, he's a bit crazy, if you know Charlie. Um, he, he brings all of the party, all the time, right? And so, but the other day I was holding him, and we used to do this thing. It kind of reminded me of this time when he was just a little baby. Uh, and I'm talking a little, little thing when we're just trying to get him to calm down or just trying to get him to stop crying. You know, I'm talking when he was teeny tiny and I would kind of hold him like this and his head would be there and we would just kind of, you know, you just kind of do that thing. You're just making it up. It's parent is just improv, right? It's, it's just very high stakes improvisation. And so that's what we did with Charlie. And Charlie, it, it was kind of this funny look that he gave me. He sort of almost like remembered this thing and he didn't know what he remembered, but he sort of stopped being crazy for a second, and he quieted down, and he was just kind of looking at me, and it reminded me of, uh, of gentleness. I was kind of in the middle of, you know, preparing for all of this, but, you know, whenever I would try to, to care for Charlie or whenever Emma would try to, you know, care for Charlie, we weren't exercising strength. No, we were bringing ourselves into this very gentle, very loving uh, kind of position, and that's what he needed. That's what, that's what calmed him down. That's what cared for him. Our God is gentle with us. It's very important to remember, our God is very gentle with us. The maker of the universe who is holy and righteous, that he would choose to care for us, to meet our needs, to comfort us in a personal way. In fact, he gives us the Holy Spirit, right? He gave us himself as the comforter. He is gentle with us. Psalm 23, one that we, we go to all the time, that you hear often whenever uh, uh, people are in... Um, 
you know, going through a difficult season, we go to Psalm 23 because it reminds us of this gentle and loving God uh, who walks with us, a good shepherd who cares for us. Uh, So when we walk with all humility and gentleness, uh, we are led to our next uh, point, which is we are called to be, and this is a hard one, patient. Who's patient? Anybody? Anybody just wake up and just love patience? Right? No, we don't typically start out that way. Patience is kind of against our nature. Um, it's, like as, it's like we're hardwired. We, it's baked in. We just show up into the world impatient. Um, I'm going to go to another, the, the other child, the one who isn't here. Um, we, we kind of live in a time and in an age, uh, and it's been, it's been moving this way for a while, of instant gratification. Right? We don't like what they call delayed gratification, meaning we want it and we want it now. And in fact, our world and our products and our, our whole existence is built around meeting our needs immediately in that moment. Uh, I mean, we've got Amazon. I can order something on Monday at 4 o'clock and like Wednesday morning, it's there. You know, I can go home and pull up Netflix or Disney Plus or Hulu or all those things. I got all of them. I don't know why. I don't know why. Uh, but we could do that, and you can find any movie, basically, any show, pick right back up, and it's immediate. I mean, can you think of how frustrating it, it is when the Internet's not going fast enough for you, and you're just like, what is this? I deserve better than this, right? Is it just me? No? Uh, I remember when, when Noah, when he was probably two years old as well. We were watching, I think we, we have Sling, again, another one, another stream. If you ever need to watch something, just come over. Um, <laughs> We have Sling, and uh, we're watching, you know, Nick Jr. or something. So it's whatever kind of like Peppa Pig probably. And so the first time, though, that he ever saw a commercial, I remember it because it was like the world stopped. And he would go, uh-oh, uh-oh, like, oh, no. And he'd point to the TV like, and this is, you know, like stovetop stuffing or something's on there. He's like, what is, this is not, you know, it's like the world just broke for him. And it's like we, we're baked that way, right? We just show up and we want it immediately and we're not good with being patient. It's hard. Uh, it's hard to do. But what's so, uh, what's so great is that we're not just told, hey, be patient with no example. No, we have a perfect example of patience. And not in Paul. I'm sure he was fairly patient. Uh, but in Christ himself. Charles Spurgeon says this, um, Patient waiting upon God was a special characteristic of our Lord Jesus. Impatience never lingered in his heart, much less escaped his lips. Um, All through his agony in the garden, his trial of cruel mockings before Herod and Pilate, his passion on the tree, he waited in omnipotence of patience. No glance of wrath, no word of murmuring, no deed of vengeance came from God's patient lamb. He waited and waited on, was patient and patient to perfection, far excelling all others who have, according to their measure, glorified God in the fires. Job on the dunghill does not equal Jesus on the cross. The Christ of God wears the imperial crown among the patient. So we're called to be patient, uh, bearing with one another in our next characteristic, which is love. We are called to be loving. This one's a little bit easier to do. Uh, there is perhaps nothing more essential to the Christian witness than love, than to be loving. 1 Corinthians 13, you hear this a lot, a lot of times at weddings, but, but a lot. 
Um, there's a great song by For King and Country that goes with this song as well uh, for any music people out there. So it says this in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, if I speak uh, in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And this is a great line. Uh, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Uh, your love for someone shapes the way that you treat them. It shapes the way that you interact with them. It changes everything about them. This is probably the last uh, illustration with the boys involved in it. Uh, but if you're, a, if you're a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or you've held babies in the nursery or, or any of that and you, you have, uh, you know, just your child and you're sitting and it's, it's kind of late and you're just sitting there kind of bouncing them on your leg, you know, and they're looking at you in the eyes, like you know what love is, right? You just feel this love come over you and, and uh, they're just looking at you in the eyes and then uh, out of nowhere, they just like sneeze right in your face. <laughs> Anybody ever had that happen? where it's just like, I mean, mouth was open and everything, just right there. And it's okay, because you love that child. It shapes everything about the way that you care for them, the way that you interact with them. And we, in a very uh, similar way, I'm not saying sneeze in each other's faces, but love one another, we're called to love one another, changes how we care for each other. Uh, And then finally, under walking as one worthy, we are called to be peace-seeking, Verse 3 says that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And Ernest did a great job of, of uh, addressing that even as we move into November and all that that brings. Uh, we're not meant to seek peace begrudgingly. We're not meant to, to you know, be dragged into this peaceful uh, existence with one another. Uh, we're called to do this joyfully. We are... Uh, We're seeking it out. We're seeking ways to pursue peace. When we enter into difficult conversations with one another, we go in with a mindset of peace. We go in with wanting to come out uh, as those who are unified. So we we seek peace. So we walk as one worthy. Our next thing to consider is we are called to hold to one confession. Now, when I say confession, that's not like, yeah, yeah. Guilty. I did it. Uh, This is what we believe, right? There's a a whole series of statements, a series of ones, if you will, that Paul dives into in verse 4. First one 
is one body. He reminds us that there is one body. Paul just immediately attacks this idea of division amongst churches. We're not just this series of separate churches all scattered about. No, we are one unified church. Uh, this is, and, and again, Ernest did such a great job of this, but this is, a, this is a really important thing to remember, especially as Christians and as those who have different ideas and different uh, thoughts and different approaches, different uh, kinds of reasoning. Um, but we live in a world where division is celebrated. It is monetized. It's promoted. It's encouraged. How many channels are like, all right, here are two people who have never met each other. Now go at it, you know, and we watch it and we just eat it up and we consume it as, as Ernest put it. Um, there's so much division, and there is even division amongst churches, right? Our church is, you know, doing that, and their church is doing that, and that's kind of weird. And it happened, you know, as, as far back as the early church, but we're reminded that there's one unified church. Paul begins this series of ones with this firm reminder that we, as those who were once dead in our sins and trespasses, those who've been reconciled, brought near by the blood of Christ, we are one. We are one body. This is one body, there's one spirit. I love that. We all share in the same spirit. We've all been given the same spirit. The reason that we're here right now, the reason that we can sing songs, the reason we can respond to God's word, uh, the reason that we know how to pray is because God has given us his spirit. He's opened our eyes. Our, we were once blind and he's opened our eyes to understand his truth. Our ears were once shut off, and he has opened those so that we can receive the truth. We share in the same spirit. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, it says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Just as we said earlier, uh, we've been given the comforter, We've all received the same spirit. It's, it's God's way of, you know, it is, his word even tells we're sealed with the, with the Holy Spirit. It's his way of saying, those are mine. He's mine. She's mine. How unifying is that? That regardless right now around the world of all of the different demographic uh, sort of, uh, you know, levels that people find themselves in, all races and nationalities, backgrounds, all of that, all believers have this, uh, this unifying thing, right? And that is that we've all been, uh, we've all had our eyes open. The eyes of our heart, as we read earlier in Ephesians, um, have been opened by the same spirit of God. Uh, so we have one spirit, we have one hope. We've been called to this hope. Uh, Ephesians 1.18 echoes earlier, you know, several weeks ago we, we looked at that, echoes the same language, the hope to which uh, he has called you. Uh, we've been called, beckoned. Our eyes are focusing on something better now. So what is our hope? Uh, this is a great passage uh, from 1 Peter 3. This is verses 3 through 5. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded uh, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the hope that we've been called to. 
May we not, as a church and as a people, uh, put our hope in any person or any uh, leader or any party or any nation or anything. May we not put it in ourselves, uh, but may we put our hope firmly where it belongs, and that's in the, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So with that, that leads us to our next one. We have one Lord. As those reconciled by Christ, we have one Lord. He is the one who leads us. Verse 15 says that he's the head of the body. Uh, so he holds all of us together. Uh, we sit as his subjects under his lordship for his glory and good pleasure. We belong to him. We have one Lord. We're going to go a little bit quicker here, but one faith. We have one faith. Uh, continuing along this line of ones, uh, that we're one church and we've had our eyes open by the same spirit, we have the same hope, the same Lord, we have thus one faith. Um, it is this one faith that unifies all believers throughout all centuries and across all continents. Um, when I think about uh, the one faith that we have, I think about the, the uh, really I think the first confession of our faith in Matthew 16, uh, when Peter's asked by Jesus, uh, who do people say the Son of Man is? And initially he says, you know, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah. And then Jesus kind of points the question, right? And he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter confesses this confession that we make now, uh, that you are the Christ, the Son, the living God. This is the confession of our faith. That's what the church was built on. Um, Al Mohler says this, to confess the faith is to hold and to defend the faith in public. To confess the faith with the saints is to confess the faith with the witness of all true Christians throughout the ages. Peter confessed that in Christ lay all the hopes of Israel. In Christ are fulfilled all the expectations for salvation that the world has longed for and eagerly awaited. Peter proclaimed the divinity of Jesus, God incarnate, Emmanuel. In just a few words, Peter affirmed the groundbreaking, earth-shattering truth that changed the course of human history. This is our faith. Uh, as Chad always ends his prayers, uh, what does he say? We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Chad, if you're watching, they did it, man. They did it. Um, it's, it's jarring when he doesn't say it, uh, isn't it? You're like, what just happened there? Uh, but it's true. It's the confession of our faith. Uh, that Jesus is the Christ. He is the living, uh, the son of the living God. So we have one faith. We have one baptism. This again reinforces the oneness of all Christians. Galatians 3, 27 through 28 says, For as many of you uh, were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Therefore, uh, or there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We do not follow separate Christs, all right? We don't follow separate Christs. Uh, it's important for us to remember that we've all been saved, purchased, redeemed by the same Christ. I mean, he, he addresses uh, in, in that uh, passage in Galatians, uh, nationality. He addresses, um, you know, your, your standing in the world, slave or free, male or female. He says that, that even more so than those identities, and, and they, are, they are identities, but the greatest identity of all 
is, uh, is that you have been baptized into Christ. You are uh, little Christs now. We've been, uh, we've been saved by him. We've been buried with him in the same tomb, all of us. And praise God, we've been raised with him. Romans 6, 3 through 4, it says, Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ, who raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We have been forgiven by the same blood, buried in the same tomb, and raised with the same Lord. And then finally, we have one God and Father. Finally, under the series of ones, one God and Father. Verse 6 says, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Uh, Paul's reminding us here that we have a God who is sovereign. He is almighty. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is creator God. There is no corner of the universe where his might and rule does not extend to. There's no breath that's being taken right now by, by all of us and all the billions of people in the world uh, that God has not given. There's no throne that approaches his. There's no earthly king or elected ruler who eclipses the one who is all wise, the one who has all authority. Uh, there's a great line from a song called The Praise is Yours, and I think I referenced this a few weeks ago but it says of God that he is so high above, but never distant. Uh, he is our king who reigns high above the heavens. We see that all throughout scripture. And yet he is as close to us as the air we breathe. He knows us intimately. He's here with us now. Uh, there's no division that we create uh, that, that would uh, sort of, uh, yeah, there's no division that we could create that would extend beyond the rule the reach of our God. Um, we're under him. So following this message of ones, uh, Paul acknowledges that God has gifted us all differently, but he's gifted us all out of an abundance of his grace. We're not just robots. We're not copies of one another. We've been gifted in unique ways uh, by his grace for kingdom purposes. So this uh, kind of takes us into our final point, the final thing we want to consider uh, and that is that we are to work to one end. We're to work to one end. Verses 11 and 12, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So our first sort of sub-point under this one is that we are to train up. We are to train up. Uh, those within the church who have been called to serve as pastors or teachers or leaders, um, you've been given by God, right? Um, you've been placed in these spots and trusted with that platform, whatever it is, in order that the saints may be equipped for the work of ministry. The gift of teaching, the gift of leading, it is just that. It is a gift. It is not an award. He would have called it an award if it was, right? He has given you this gift, and he has thus given you to his church uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So kind of a question for us to ponder. Um, are you investing in others in ministry? Are you serving so that others may be ready to serve? Are you offering your gifts 
that you have, and we all have them. Um, I know we like to elevate creative people, and we like to elevate eloquent people, but all of you have been given something. Um, are you using that something to equip his church? It can look like a lot of different things. It can be teaching a life group. I see a lot of life group leaders here. Um, it could be going on a mission trip, like right now, our team in Uganda, you know, they're coming alongside other believers, encouraging them, training, leading a Bible study in your home, um, finding ways to involve others in ministry work. Maybe you are a leader. Can you bring somebody into it? Bring them alongside, train them, replace yourself. Uh, traveling with our kids, our students to camp, leading a small group, discipling someone uh, who is young in their faith. Our student ministry does an awesome job of that, um, of having uh, a discipling uh, relationship with students. So we're to train up, we are to build up. Second half of verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. This is this idea of edification. Edification, the word, um, has this root back to this idea of building a house, building a structure, a dwelling place. Ephesians 2, um, this is a few weeks ago that we looked at this, 19 through 22, it says, uh, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place by God. Uh, for God, by the Spirit. We, as the people of God, are being built into a house for the Lord, a holy temple, a dwelling place. Uh, the, the big C church that we talk about when we say the church, uh, it's God's dwelling place. We are called, in this passage, uh, to build his house. Uh, so when we hear edification or edify or building up, we're not speaking of literal brick-and-mortar work, although that is very important uh, to do. Um, but we're talking about building people, building up people. We're all elements in this building, right? All Each one of us individually, we're called to build one another up. Um, and so Paul is saying that all of your teaching, your instructing, your serving, your evangelizing, all of it should be done to prepare others for the work of ministry and to build uh all believers up in their faith to build the church up. Uh, so another question as we kind of get into this landing the plane uh, type of moment, what does building others up look like for you? There are big things, you know, that we can often kind of arrive too quickly. It's giving to others as they have needs, serving those who are in need, right? Giving your time and your resources. We talk about offerings every week. We have whatever it takes. We have that out there um, that are so important to the church continuing its work of ministry in this uh, corner of the world that we've been placed, but also all corners of the world. It's important and it's big and it's vital that we all take part in that. Uh, but there are also small things, seemingly small things, right, that we can kind of discount, like uh, a hug, a word of encouragement. There are some encouraging people uh, in this place, in this church. It's full of them, all of you. Uh, um, sitting with someone, grieving with them. Ministry of presence, you heard that before, I'm sure. Um, praying with someone and not offering all the answers right away, but acknowledging their hurt, 
presenting their requests to the one who is able to heal and deliver, uh, being faithful to pray for them. Those things count. They're important. Uh, and all of us can do that. Uh, we often say, um, and, and I, I try to, to wear these lenses, but um, even in our times of worship, when we sing together, that it is meant for edification. First Corinthians 14 um, says, What then, brothers, uh, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. He says this, Let all things be done for building you up. There's not a single thing that ought to be done in this room, on this stage, in those rooms, that isn't for the express purpose of building others up so that we would look more like Christ, so that we would give him greater glory. Uh, and then as we get to our final point, I just sort of gave away the ending, but we are to grow up. So we are to train up, to build up, and then to grow up. This means maturing in our faith, verses 13 through 16. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking in the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul is addressing the necessity of maturing in your faith. Um, he, he doesn't just tell us what to do, though. He also gives us the, the ramifications for not growing up, right? He does this through a lot of warnings, um, being tossed to and fro, I love to say to and fro. I probably don't say that enough in, in everyday life. But to be tossed to and fro by the waves, challenges of life, difficulties, persecution, fear, doubt, struggle, hurt, all of these waves that just batter us, being carried away by every wind of doctrine. Uh, and this is, a, this is man, this is a, that's a hard one. There's a lot uh, of people out there who preach and who profit off of a false gospel or a gospel with additives. And it's dangerous. Some the things, there's music out there that it's not good for us to listen to because it's dangerous. It's teaching us a gospel with Jesus plus XYZ. Or it's teaching us a gospel that puts us at the center of the story, right? We are David. We are the, the hero in the story. We're good enough. We're beautiful enough. We're strong enough. We're, he calls us enough. It's like, no. Like, you are not enough. But the good news is that Christ Jesus is. We have, to be, we have to be on guard with that so that we're not carried away. As I was getting to this, uh, this part, I was sitting up in our, um, the little landing area in between the buildings. There's kind of like a wind tunnel effect that sort of blows through. And uh, when I was at this spot, this, I mean, it's not that unbelievable, but it was funny. I looked up and there was this little butterfly that the wind was kind of blowing through and he was just like struggling and then he'd go back and he was struggling and he would go back and he just couldn't, he was just trying to get outside, right? But he couldn't, he was weak. He couldn't, he couldn't face the wind. And it just made me think, man, that can be us. If we're not growing, that can be us. Are we prioritizing our lives and our time uh, in a way that positions us for growth? Right, is church optional for you? 
does life groups feel like extra credit? You know, like it's great if we go, if not, you know, it's fine too. I mean, if we're honest, two years ago, it became really easy, right? We made it super duper available and it's really easy uh, to not be present, to not put ourselves in environments around people and under teaching that leads us towards growth. Are you having quiet time regularly? Are you in the word? Um, the music you're listening to, the podcast that you're listening to, is it helping you grow? Because the, the big truth of all of this is that we as people do not drift towards growth. We do not drift towards good, right? Our drift is always 100% away from those things. We have to be intentional. And so as we, as we get to a point of invitation, uh, there's a lot of ways that we can respond. We're gonna respond through song in just a moment. Um, but maybe you're here and uh, you're like me and you're reading through this and you're like, wow, I've, I'm prone to, to pride. I'm prone to anger, being impatient. I'm not always forgiving of, of a fellow brother or sister in Christ. And you need to repent. You need to show up and, and just open your hands and be like, I'm guilty of these things and I need your spirit to work in me so that I would not look like David anymore, but I'd look like Christ. Uh, maybe you're here and you want to stop drifting. Um, you know, you don't have to, uh, sometimes you just, uh, it's just showing up, right? It's like the old thing with the gym, like half the work is just showing up. Uh, maybe you're, you're, you are like, yeah, I need to put myself in an environment, in a place around people who are going to help me grow in my faith. And that might look like it's 930, well, it's 10, 1034. When, when we dismiss here in a moment, you walk upstairs, you find a life group and you get plugged in and you sit under good teaching and you laugh with other people and you pray together. And that's the step you need to take today. Maybe it's, you know, uh, doing that extra credit stuff, coming back, you know, for, for Sunday nights, hearing great teaching, um, whatever it is. And then maybe you're here and uh, you have never confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the son of the living God, and that's what you need to do. Um, and uh, we've got people, they're gonna be over here uh, to my left uh, near a decision counseling room who would love to talk with you um, if you've never uh, put your faith in Christ. Um, none of us have it fully together. Uh, none of us were without sin. None of us had it figured out until uh, we still don't have it all figured out, but all of us were where you were. We all need Christ, right? We all need his forgiveness. So we'd love to talk to you about that today. Um, but as we're about to sing, um, and you can go ahead and stand, um, we want to uh, remember the one who our life is built upon, the one who anchors our faith, the one on whom hope is built firmly, and that's Jesus Christ. Let's sing, let's respond now.